The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey there, and welcome back to Afternoons with Mike. On the line with me right now is Kevin Sorbo, the actor, the person who I think many people still identify to this day as being Hercules, but uh, he's done so many things. Since then, I had the uh, wonderful opportunity to have both Kevin and his wife, Sam, on my program before, and here he is today, just a few days away from the release of a new Left Behind movie. And Kevin, it's great to have you here. Thank you for joining me. It's good to be here. I'm very excited about the movie coming out. It opens January 26 on 1,500 screens across America. So please go to leftbehindmovie.com, leftbehindmovie.com. Check out the trailer and uh, find out uh, what theaters are near you by just throwing in your zip code. Now, you know, this is a, a different day than what it was 20 years ago, or even in some ways, three years ago, with all the impact that COVID brought on the whole movie industry. So you're making this now kind of in the movie's recovering time. How has this been different, Kevin, from things you've done in the past? Well, number one, what I love what they did about this with the script, Paul Lalonde and his team, what they did was uh, bring it to modern day. So they did a total rewrite two years ago on what the script originally was uh, seven or eight years ago. And the last one movie that they did was with Nicolas Cage. I took over the role that Nicolas did. I play Rayford Steele, who's the pilot in the books. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have an amazing cast. And they brought it into today. So it deals with the pandemic. It deals with the fear. It deals with the evil governments across the world where they want to use fear as a weapon to control our lives where they say, don't go to church. You've got to stay out because that's where COVID is. But there's no there's no COVID in strip clubs, apparently, or in, in, in liquor stores. Yeah. It, was just, it was so weird, the whole thing that they did. And people just fell in line. And we have so many sheep in the world, and we need to wake up the lions and get out there and not be afraid of letting the government control our lives. But uh, I love what this movie did because it really shows uh, the anger and violence and hate out there today. It's today's world. So uh, it feels like the rapture is coming because it's sort of Falls in line with the book Revelation, which the Left Behind books dealt with. Right. And, you know, that brought, it just brings the, the word of God, the, the book of Revelation, especially to the forefront here. And I know that a lot of people that are seeing this, that would go to a movie theater to watch this, they have no context. They're just thinking that this storyline is just one more fantasy uh, production. They have no context of understanding that these events are in the Bible and that these events are, are forebodingly real. And, and hopefully, uh, maybe a subtitle could be, it's time to wake up, right? Because that's exactly what America needs to do right now. We do need to wake up. Oh, there's no, there's no question about it. And that's, you know what, people can do that. Because I remember at 12 years old reading the first time I read the book of Revelation, uh, because my, my pastor, remember in church, he said, read the book of Revelation, it will scare the hell out of you. So as a 12 year old Literally. Kid, <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was very interesting to read it because I read it as a 12 year old and go, it was like a sci-fi movie to think that this is going to take place, the craziness. I mean, I would love to see Hollywood do, um, you know, because with the visual effects and, you know, technology we have today, they could probably do some, you know, semi-justice to it if they really did it. I mean, you saw what they did with the Noah story. I mean, oh, they yeah. made Noah Waterworld meets uh, 
rock. I mean, makes uh, makes some rock creatures, makes transformers. I mean, it was just crazy what they did. But you know, next time maybe don't hire an atheist director, which which they did do. But that's welcome to Hollywood, right? They want to make things the way they want to make it, and they don't want to do have they, they don't want to deal with truth. They want to deal with anger and hate and div- divisiveness. And I'm trying to do movies that have hope in it. And I think the world needs hope more than anything right now. I agree with you, Kevin. Now, your role is not only on front of the camera, but you're doing a lot behind the camera as well on this production, right? I was honored to be the director of it. So, yeah, I directed yes. it and started it. We got a great cast, so I got to throw him. We got Neil McDonough. People know Neil and all the work he's done. I think the last thing I saw him was, was Yellowstone with Kevin Costner. We got um, Corbin Burnson. We got Bailey Chase. Uh we got Greg Perot. We got Sarah Fisher. We got such a great cast. My wife is in it. Sam Sorb was in it. She did an amazing job in the scene she was in. And then my son Shane is in it. I mean, Shane. That's my other son who's doing another movie. Um, my son Braden's in it, who was uh, so great. And that the writers liked him so much, they actually wrote a couple extra scenes for him. Is that right? So it's a yeah. family affair. It is a family affair, but, you know, we've been involved in it. We're homeschoolers, so the kids grew up in movie sets of all my movies. I've been averaging about five movies a year for the last 12 years, so we're gone a lot. And, you know, my wife and I made a pact not to be apart more than two weeks, so they will come on. If I got a five-week shoot, they'll be there for at least three weeks. So the kids are growing up on movie sets, and my boys all wanted to go into acting about gosh, about nine years ago. So I put them in acting class for three years, and uh, they, they love it. And that's uh, that's not uncommon, I think, for them to follow the the footsteps of their parents. And that's what they're doing. You know, Kevin, you've been around this a long time. You've seen the changes. But uh, to put things into context for you and Sam, uh, you know, it's not that uncommon for people that are in movies in Hollywood to be educated outside the normals thought of a public school. But you guys took that to another level with homeschooling. And tell me just tell us all, if you will, just for a little bit about what it was like in those early years to make the decision that you were going to not only look at this alternate alternative educational method, but that you were going to put your heart and soul into it the way you have. Well, you know, we we know how bad the public education system is. I mean, if anything, COVID uh, woke a lot of parents up. They said, you know, maybe we shouldn't use public education as a babysitting service. And uh, two million more families are now homeschooling after COVID because they saw how crappy the school systems really are. They saw how horrible the school boards are and the the agendas they want to push. When you and I were in school, I didn't have any teachers. Even in college, I had no professors uh, telling me how to vote, telling me not to believe in God or to believe in God. They, They just taught science. They taught engineering. They taught, you know, business. That's what they taught. But we have changed so much over the last 30 years that it's gotten crazy out there. So we dove into it. I have buddies in Minnesota, families that were doing it. So my wife talked to them for a while and now she's become a homeschool advocate. She travels the country. Yes, she does. Yeah. If you go to sorbostudios.com, all kinds of information on there. Um, Our books are on there. Um, DVD, merchandise, all kinds of stuff that, you know, let us keep in touch with what's going on with your lives as well. You don't even get anything. Just sign up and we'll let you know the things coming on the pipeline because I've got three movies coming out this year. I got five coming out the next year. So we're staying very busy, getting good messages out there. And, um, you know, homeschooling is something that I, I love the, 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 the false rumors about it. I mean, my kids are so social. They're so great with adults because they grew up with adults and they grew up with a, with a more mature attitude. Uh, and uh, I, I, I've been talking about for years to say, we well, got to get public schools out of that government's hands because everything the government touches, they destroy, as you know. I mean, the, one of my favorite Ronald Reagan, Reagan quotes, he says, these are the greatest words to fear. Hi, I'm from the government and we're here to help. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the follow up quote that he, that he is often quoted with is that that it, the answer is not in the government. The government's the problem. 
And yeah. I, I think yeah. that's so true, isn't it? Well, and I do, I do a lot of speaking. I do most of it as pro-life speaking. And uh, he did another great quote. He said, I, I, he says, I, find, I found out that all the people that are for abortion have already been born. he had a a sense of humor that was just unparalleled yep no no question well you know going back to the movie for a little bit again we talked about about the uh the the whole cast that you've got pulled together and and the aims what was it like give us a a little bit of behind the scenes of, of what the the filming of this movie was about well, you know what, what's interesting? We didn't cast on saying, are you a Christian or not? We didn't do any of that. We, 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 we taped people. We met with people. Um, and it wasn't until we cast everybody, we get in the set, I found out that they, they were all Christians themselves. All the actors were. And that's not the way we were trying to be and look at it. We just we picked people that we thought would be perfect for the roles. And it just ended up being that way. And um, they, they love the movies that I do. They love the message I put out. And, um, you know, we had a great crew. Uh, I've shot with these guys before. In fact, I have another movie that I shot with them that's coming out later this year called Miracle in East Texas that you and I will talk about in September. True story set in 1930 about the largest oil fund in the history of the world, right in the heart of the Depression, uh, written by Oscar-nominated writer Dan Gordon. It's a great story. And uh, so this crew, I just said, I'm going to bring it back on board. And you know what? There, there were We had non-Christians in the crew. We have Christians in the crew. But everybody got along just fine. I mean, the reality is we give the largest voice to the smallest group of people that just, for some reason, they have the megaphone to just infiltrate with more hate and anger into the world and attack people like you and me. Mm-hmm. And they have nothing better to do with their lives. But trust me, these are people that need prayer more than anything, because these people are so filled with anger and hate. They don't like who they see in the morning when they look in the mirror, and they just want to drag everybody down with them because they think it makes them feel better. And actually, it only makes them feel worse. You know, the age-old story about the Bible is that it's the good news. It was called in movies for years, the good book. And we're seeing a time right now where I think a lot of people are, they're longing for something that's good. They're longing for something that's real. And, And, you know, it's so great to see that you've been given a platform, the very platform that is otherwise canceling people and telling people like you and Sam that you can't do what you're doing. And you're showing them that it can be done. And not only can it be done, but it can be done in such a way that is excellent in production and is bringing about that good news that people really want and need in their lives. Well, the amazing thing is just the hypocrisy out there, because I, I look at these people that want to take down the nativity scenes. They go, well, that offends me. And I go, what? well, it offends me that it offends you. It offends me that you're taking it down. You know? <laughs> right. so it's, why, why is it such a, why is, you know, being a conservative and being, uh, you know, a, a, a Christian, why do we not have a voice that we should have? I mean, this country is founded in Judeo-Christian values. You look at the Ivy League schools, they have Christianity all over the buildings engraved in these 400-year-old buildings, and all right. of a sudden the students there want these things taken down. Let's take down statues. Who are these people that have led such perfect, perfect lives that they're offended that George Washington at one time had slaves? When slavery isn't an American thing, it's been around forever forever it's been around. Is it a good thing? No. But at least, you know, at least the British, I think, were the first people really to get rid of slavery. Americans followed, you know, but mm-hmm. unfortunately it took 600,000 lives for it to, to finally end. And uh, it's, but it's, it's so weird to me, the hypocrisy out there that people just want to blame everybody else for the evil of the world when they're, they're, they're the ones who are evil. I look at Antifa and I go, oh, you're against fascism? Well, everything you do, you are the fascist. Right. That's what they do. It's all projection. It's all, it's all let's, let's say that they're the bad people and the violent people, even though we're the ones going around burning down buildings and attacking people, you know, 
tire irons and baseball bats. I mean, we live in this strange time right now. This wokeness has to end because woke, there's nothing woke about, there's nothing politically correct about political correctness. It's all incorrect. And we got to start waking up. The sheep are the sheep. We need to wake up the lions, get out there and not be afraid. You know, that's great advice. We do need to wake up. And, you know, I think a lot of people are doing that, Kevin, right now. And you see the headlines, this whole latest now crisis that the administration's going through with all the the classified documents being revealed. Uh, it, it's like uh, there's something going on right now. It's happening right under our noses. And I believe that right now the time is ripe for people like yep. you and people who are doing what you're doing to stand up and say, you know, this is crazy. I'm not going to be afraid to speak anymore. I'm not going to let this cancel culture. I'm sure you were tempted. I'm sure that people would have told you, you, you can never do what you and Sam are doing. I'm sure they told you that. Oh, I've been attacked left and right. Trust me. I, I mean, I've been canceled from speaking events, from making appearances at autograph shows for Hercules and Andromeda, like 10 people. I said, if he shows up or riding and they cave, even though there's gonna be 20,000 people that they worry about maybe 10 people. Yeah, And th these are the people that do not have the guts to approach me in public. I'm not looking for fights. I'm looking to have a nice debate. Let's talk. But they don't want to debate because all they have is talking points. Remember what they said about COVID? Well, you can't question the science. And I laughed at that because that's what science is. You question it. That's what scientists do. They're always questioning. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, you can't question it. Why? What, what, what do you mean we can't question this? Because everything I said, all my conspiracy theories that took me down from Facebook two years ago, all of my conspiracy theories have come true. Yeah. So, so where's the apology from the left on that, you know? So it's just, it's just nuts the world we're living in. I couldn't agree more. And it's uh, every day that you think you've seen it all and then you wake up and then there's another headline that goes, well, I, I didn't see that one coming. But that's just why we need to have courage. And, I, you know, we were talking today, my wife and I, and praying. And uh, then I had another conversation with a guy, a pastor, and we were both talking about this whole thing about our need as Joshua was given from the, from the Lord in Joshua 1 to be strong and courageous. This is is a day to be strong and bold and courageous, isn't it? Oh, yes. And we cannot back down people. We have to fight back. And more and more people are finally waking up, which is a good thing, because people are just have just had it with this 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 whole thing about transgenderism, about critical race theory, all that. I mean, I didn't realize we were such big racists until Obama came <laughs> That's right. All, all of a sudden made it worse and worse and worse. And I've got, you know, I've got friends that are African-American, you know, and I, I've, I've, I've worked with gay people all my life in Hollywood. Are you kidding me? You won't find one gay person that says he was horrible to work with. He was so mean to us. He made horrible jokes, blah, blah. You won't find one. But because I'm a Christian conservative in Hollywood, all of a sudden, oh, you're, you're, you're homophobic, you're all the, and I'm going, well, show me the proof. But they love their labels. And that's all they have is labels that were given to them by the mainstream media. That's right. And that's what the word that they have. And I, I think that we're going to see that, that the veracity of that word is going to fall apart too. Everything that happens, if it's not of trueness, if it's not of God, it's, it's going to fall one day. We just don't know when all of those days are. But man, that's kind of brings us back as we're kind of coming to the close of our segment here. Uh, this, this theme that uh, the movies that have come out for years, the Left Behind, they're really not just scare movies. I know a lot of people in the world would like to kind of equate it as just that, but there is truth that needs to be heeded about the fact that we can't live our lives every day like we own life. And that's exactly what this movie is going to show, is that you 
are not the one that is ultimately in control, that we all serve a God and one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that God to be God, right? Well, you know, this the Left Behind, Rise of the Antichrist is really an action thriller. And it's, it deals with, you know, six months after the rapture, what's going on. You see people denying that it happened, saying, well, it was aliens or something like that. But you got a lot of people, are, you know, when it does happen, when the whole thing starts, people are going to freak out and say we were wrong. And not everybody, because that's just the way the human nature is. There's easy to deny things, even though it happens right before their very eyes. But, um, you know, this is a movie I hope people will support, because I don't have a $100 million advertising budget like James Cameron does for Avatar. So I hope people will go leftbehindmovie.com, leftbehindmovie.com. Go to your churches, tell your pastor, tell everybody to fill up the seats, because movie movie theater owners don't care what they show. They want to sell popcorn and sodas. Right. So we have, we have a four-day window. We get January 26th through the 29th to fill up those theaters, and that way, if we're successful, like we were, God's not dead. It'll stay in theaters, and God's not dead stayed in theaters for four months. I would love to make this stay in theaters for four months as well. It's a wonderful, wonderful uh, the, the movie. Bring your whole family, and it's a great movie that you'll talk about after you walk out of the theater. Comes out on the twenty-sixth of January. What was your favorite part about this particular film? Um, well, working with the cast and the crew that I had. I mean, there's so many wonderful scenes in here, and there's a couple of scenes that definitely stick out in my mind. Usually when I'm when I'm directing, it's other scenes of other people, but there's a scene I have with my wife, Sam, in here that was such a great movie because I know people out there of faith know the picture. There was a picture I grew up with in my room as a kid, and it's a wonderful painting of Jesus knocking on a door. And it's wonderful, like late evening, you know, late, you know, the sun's going down. He's knocking on the door. The door doesn't have a handle. And the handle's on the other side. Right. And that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart to open the door from your side. It's up to you to bring him into your life. And he has incredible patience. And uh, there's a scene that we deal with talking about that painting that became very emotional for both of us in the scene. It sort of surprised me where it led. And it's a wonderful, wonderful scene in the movie. Oh, I can't wait to see it, Kevin. So I want people to go to leftbehindmovie.com, leftbehindmovie.com. It shows you the trailer. It shows you um, what theater's near you to throw in your zip code. And one more thing, I have an amazing trip that my wife and I are hosting for the second time. And go to sorboisraeltrip.com. That's sorboisraeltrip.com. We're taking 60 people like we did four years ago. We're up to 52 people signed up. So there's only eight spots left open. So please, I know it's a bucket list trip for so many people to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. This is an amazing history trip. You do not have to be a person of faith to join us. It's great history. There's not one um, a uh, really a sort of atheist, famous atheist out there, whether it's Dawkins or Hitchens or Singer, that denies that Jesus existed. They know he existed. So if you want the cradle of civilization there in the heart of the Middle East, walking in footsteps of Jesus, go to SorboIsraelTrip.com. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Kevin Sorbo, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. And we'll be right back with Joy Stockbauer from FRC coming up in just a moment. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. 
Here we are with segment two. On the line with me right now is Joy Stockbauer. Joy is a policy analyst for the Center for Human Dignity, and that is with the Family Research Council, often with the acronym FRC. You see that all the time in the news. Joy Stockbauer, welcome to my program. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to join you. Well, I'm excited about this talk. Uh, you uh, apparently are part of, I don't know if you authored it all by yourself, but there was uh, a recent article put out by FRC, the Center for Human Dignity, uh, that was called Difficult Conversations, Rape and Incest. You know, we're about ready to celebrate this um, big date that's always been looked at, uh, it's in infamy, rather, the Roe v. Wade anniversary. It's always a, a time of, uh, has been up until this year, a time of prayer, a time of uh, asking God for mercy. And this year, boy, it will be different, won't it? Yes, absolutely. This is a super exciting year to be active in the pro-life movement because, you know, this is our first post-Roe year where, you know, legislators can really take action to be protecting human life at the state level and even at the federal level. So, you know, more than ever, there is so much motivation for us as we head out to the March for Life to be advocating for life and to be demonstrating that the American people care about life in the womb and that we won't back down until it's all protected. Well, we've heard so many stories over the years. It's really hard to imagine. I mean, a generation, obviously more than one generation coming up with nothing but uh, hearing about Roe v. Wade as the federal umbrella that gave uh, protection, that gave uh, some sense of the word right to those that would be pro-abortion. And now for the first time in 50 years, uh, that is going to be something that is different than than what we've experienced. And boy, oh boy, I'm excited about it as well. June 24th, 2022 will be a day that will be remembered for the rest of our lifetimes. Now, Joy, we, we hear when we often hear stories about uh, laws that are pro-life laws, uh, that are uh, heartbeat laws or things like that that are going to be voted on by state legislatures. We often hear the phrase, except in the case of rape and incest. And it is, it's interesting. That's what the, the bulk of your article is on here uh, that you've written. And I really enjoyed reading it, by the way. Well done. And it had, a, it had a couple of amazing stories, one that I never, I didn't know it was even possible, but uh, I mean, I, I've never heard such a story of an 11-year-old mom uh, mm. of, of a, chi a, a child, basically, who was abducted and raped and then decided to go ahead and carry that child. And so that's a story that's worth, I hope it catches everyone's attention, even as I say that, because it's unthinkable to think what that young girl had to go through at age 11. It's just amazing, not even a teenager and having to deal with this. But in her case, she made the story and I guess you could say ignored and her family was supporting her, her uh, ignored this phrase that is often used that seemingly would say that it's okay to have an abortion in those cases. But I think your article really speaks to the other side of that because consideration needs to be given even in those cases for that unborn child, right? 
Absolutely. You know, I think the prevailing opinion, um, even among some Republicans, but, you know, especially popularized by the left has been that especially in instances where there are difficult circumstances where, you know, there is some other trauma or pain or crime that has been committed, that in these instances, we can especially ignore the humanity of an unborn child. And so, you know, these exceptions really have no place in a law that's seeking to protect unborn life. Because what a rape or incest exception says is that, you know, we're, we're going to create this pro-life law that says life, you know, it deserves to be protected in the womb at a certain point in gestation or even beginning at conception. Um, but what these exceptions say is that, you know, these children aren't human or that they are somehow less deserving of life than a child who, you know, was conceived by two loving parents. Um, so, so really it's making a statement or a claim about the humanity of a child based on circumstances beyond their control. And so it's, you know, fundamentally discriminatory and unjust. I agree completely. And, you know, it's almost like saying that that thing that you did was so horrible. You may never, ever, ever do that again, unless, and then you put out a couple of qualifications and then it's okay. And it's not okay. Mm. It's not okay for the mother. And it's not okay for that unborn child either, who will never have the chance to speak for themselves. And, and that's the thing that is so amazing about this story, because when you read your article, uh, you see the lives of those that could have fallen into that category of uh, having been aborted uh, when you, because of circumstances that were inclusive of either rape or incest. And uh, it is... It is just amazingly uh, um, eye-opening, to, to say the least, to read their stories. Now, you offer some tips, and I, I thought those were wonderful, too. Tips to remember when you're having a conversation about this topic. Can you give us some of those things? Absolutely. Well, I think the, the best place to start is remembering to approach this conversation with compassion. Because, you know, whether you're conversing with a woman or a man, you don't know the background and the life experiences that your conversation partner is bringing to this discussion. You don't know if they've suffered a history of sexual assault. You don't know if someone very close to them has suffered this form of trauma. And so you have to approach these conversations with the utmost compassion. Um, and I think that's, you know, just really essential to remember. Um, and, and I think along with that, you know, you, we, we shouldn't be afraid to condemn rape for what it is as a heinous assault on human dignity, we shouldn't be afraid to talk about, you know, the fact that no woman or, or man is responsible for being raped. You know, I think that when we can affirm these things, it helps us level the playing field and it helps our conversation partner recognize that we're having a conversation separate from is rape wrong or not. Mm -hmm. When we're able to recognize the obvious, it allows our conversation partner to let down their walls and be prepared to hear what we have to say and then allows us to pivot the conversation to talking about the unborn child who is an innocent third party to the crime that was committed against the mother. It's so easy, isn't it, for people in those kinds of circumstances to forget that fact. That fact is maybe lost on them, but it isn't lost on that child who is a human being, who has its own DNA, who is a victim himself or herself of the crime that was perpetrated, but an innocent victim. And these things are, they've just got to be taken into consideration. I love what you say in your article about 
being one that is quick to listen. I think about the Bible verse. It says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. But on this topic, it it just uh, is very emotional. And I think a lot of people speak out before they really uh, have listened to the heart of that person that is talking. And that's what you pointed out a moment ago. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, when you give your conversation partner space to speak and to share why they might support rape or incest exceptions or why they might think a woman absolutely should get an abortion if she's been raped, then I think we're able to more accurately address what their individual concerns are rather than making an assumption about why they believe what they believe. So I think it absolutely is essential to listen first. Now you talk also about prayer, the role that prayer, uh, taking time to really take this to the Lord as one who is getting ready to talk to somebody that's in this condition. And, and you know, if you add all of these things together, you really have a, a person with empathy, a person who's listening with a heart and compassion, as you said. But prayer is an important part of that, right? Absolutely. I think when you approach a conversation like this, you know, you can approach it with the mindset of, I want to win. I want to convince my conversation partner that I'm right and they're wrong and, you know, submit their opinion to mine. And I think that that is the wrong mindset to approach this type of conversation with. It's not about winning. It's not even about necessarily changing your conversation partner's mind right there on the spot. You know, I think the the right mindset is to pray that the Holy Spirit would offer you the right words and speak through you to have a proper engagement with the person that you're trying to engage, to plant a seed that hopefully allows them to continue considering these difficult topics and continue considering the humanity of the unborn child. I think, you know, we, we can't put limits on what God can do. Maybe he changes a mind right there in the conversation, but I think often just showing a good witness and showing, you know, I'm going to engage on this difficult topic with love and compassion for everyone involved, I think is, you know, one of the most basic and essential components of what we're talking about in this conversation. I agree completely. And boy, when we have a heart to listen, and that is uh, granted then by God as giving this compassion that comes from him, we read in the Bible that the Lord's comfort is unlike anything else. The Holy Spirit comforts, and that is one of his names, the comforter. He is the one who who really brings that to life, and he will help us as we have these talks. Now, a, a really alarming, to me, a shocking realization for all of the talk and for all of the times that this phrase, except in cases of rape or incest, uh, or, or some sort of violent thing like that, that that goes on, it's shocking to find out how few times uh, these uh, these occurrences happen in in the the whole pie, if you will, of abortion. I mean, it's really rare, isn't it, for uh, abortion to be actually using one of those two things as the justification, right? Yeah, when we look at the overall statistics, you know, over the course of decades for why women choose to get abortions, rape and incest is usually less than 1% of the reasons why women cite for getting their abortion. And so, you know, some important things to consider here are that not every woman who experiences or suffers rape or incest chooses abortion. Um, You know, there are some, some women who just choose life and, you know, maybe they inform their child of the circumstances of their conception, or maybe they never do. 
Um, but these women are absolutely heroic and, you know, should be supported. Um, and then, you know, for that, for that 1% of women who, uh, uh, who have, are choosing abortion because they've suffered rape or incest, you know, I think that these women especially need our outreach and they need our love. You know, never do they need to be shamed or treated with condemnation because we know that they have likely, more than likely, suffered, um, you know, an outside force compelling them to get an abortion. You know, whether it's, you know, just engagement from their friends or family telling them, you know, you've suffered this crime, you should get an abortion or, you know, just the forces of society and, and culture encouraging them that, you know, the only right outcome in this case is for you to get an abortion. Um, so I think in these cases, we just need to be offering as much love and compassion as we can to women and showing that, you know, there is recovery after abortion, there's hope and forgiveness and, you know, hope for your future that you don't need to suffer the after effects and, and pain of abortion forever. You know, I've seen that as part of uh, the, the Choices Women's Clinic. I'm privileged to serve on the board in Orlando for that. And there mm-hmm. is uh, many times people that come in for counseling, women who come in and they end up choosing, sadly, to abort their, their baby. And even then, they're not rejected by those at the clinic because sometimes and oftentimes they have a chance to follow up on those people after the abortion is over. And then to do exactly what you're talking about, to really pour out the love of God, the acceptance of God, even in cases where they've gone ahead and done the unthinkable, which breaks our heart when that happens. But we've got to keep all of these people in mind and that includes the baby. And I find that, wouldn't you agree with this, Joy, that oftentimes a lot of people who have an opportunity to have a conversation with someone who's in one of these situations, it's really difficult, it takes a lot of courage to kind of go into that because most people would feel and they would say, I don't know what to say. I don't know that I have the words to say. Would you agree? Absolutely. And, you know, this is why we created this resource because difficult conversations aren't fun, but they're important. Um, You know, it's not fun to engage with someone where, you know, they might be hostile to your view or they might think differently of you after that conversation. But, you know, speaking truth to that person um, in love is not going to, you know, reflect badly on your soul. You know, I think it's so important for us to be willing to have the courage to engage in truth and share that with people, even if we think that they're not going to be friendly to our position or even if it you know, temporarily damages our relationship with that person, because in the end, you know, someone needs to share that truth with them. Your uh, steps that you give, one of the steps, step three, you say, pivot the conversation toward the unborn child. And that's really key, isn't it? It's getting the attention, getting the emotion redirected, if you will, off of the circumstance, off of the reasons why uh, they're being told that they should have or should consider to have this abortion and put the attention on that unborn child. Absolutely. I think it's so important to empower women who have suffered sexual assault and to empower them to recognize that their control was taken away from them when they suffered that crime. And that was a horrible affront to their human dignity and it never should have happened. But that now they have the opportunity to bring healing from the ashes of that crime and to provide hope in a future for an innocent child who did not commit a crime, who you know loves their mother, even in the womb and especially when you know they emerge from the womb, you know, a mother is their child's whole world. When a baby comes out of their womb, the only heartbeat and voice and, 
you know, person that they want to be with is their mother. And so I think that can be an incredibly healing and powerful thing that, you know, when a woman has become pregnant after suffering a rape, that's what we need to encourage them is that, you know, this child will love you and is innocent and is worthy of life. And so we need to empower them to know that they can be mothers rather than telling them, well, now your only option is to further traumatize your body and your mind by suffering an abortion. And that is a point that is well taken because it's not like if they choose to go ahead and have that abortion based upon incest or rape, it's not like that the process for the abortion is somehow in that case made easier, is it? Absolutely. I mean, abortion is, is traumatizing. We know we've known this for decades, you know, we have so much information about post post abortion stress syndrome that the other side tries to tell us is not real, but you know, women who have actually had abortions confirm that it is real that, you know, many of them struggle with flashbacks, nightmares, difficulty in relationships, emotional numbness, even just trouble with functioning deal on a daily basis. You know, these are symptoms of uh, a specific form of post-traumatic stress syndrome that emerges from women who have suffered abortions. So, you know, to minimize that pain and suffering, to pretend that it's not there and to pretend that, you know, you've completely healed that woman or given her all the help that she needs to recover from her first trauma from that rape by giving her an abortion to pretend that that just wipes the slate clean is absolutely unjust. It's not what women deserve and it's not going to help them on the path to you know, hope in a future. My guest for this uh, program is Joy Stockbauer, and we'll be back with her for one more segment. Joy is the policy analyst for the Center for Human Dignity at the Family Research Council. We'll be right back with Joy in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years' experience, EC Waters is a top-trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. A real joy to have Joy Stockbauer here with us. Joy is the policy analyst for the Center for Human Dignity with the Family Research Council. And we've been talking in the last segment about this scenario that so many people hear about, yet only 1% of those who get abortions are in the category of that, uh, that pregnancy being caused either by rape or incest. Only 1% or less of all abortions. And yet we are told and we hear that phrase, uh, you know, there's, there's a truth, isn't it, Joy, that when people kind of hear something over and over and over, it's easy to just kind of give that a pass. And we think that that's an understandable or a reasonable or a justifiable reason to go ahead and follow through with that abortion. But that really is not giving the rights to that child that they're carrying at all. Would you agree? Absolutely. You know, I think that the abortion industry and the left are so keen on dominating the messaging of the day. You know, they're keen on reaching young people and convincing them to side with the side of, you know, abortion on demand until birth. And so it's really desensitized, you know, younger generations. Um, 
who have received this messaging from the abortion industry since they were in, you know, middle school or high school. It's desensitized them um, to obscure the rights of the unborn child, to pretend that that child is not even there, or that, you know, to ignore biological reality that there is a living human being in the womb, and instead to focus solely on the woman. Um, so there's the first lie. And, and then the second lie is that abortion is good for women. And we know that that's not true. And so, you know, it's it's messaging fueled solely by lies, um, but it's persuasive. And, you know, sometimes it it might seem more comfortable for a lay person um, to accept than to accept that someone might carry a baby to term after a difficult, you know, circumstance or in less than ideal circumstances. Um, so, you know, we know that that messaging can be appealing, but that doesn't mean that it's true. Now, Kathy Barnett's story is included. She's the woman who uh, was given birth by her birth mom, who was only 11 years old. This is an amazing story. Tell us about that one. Absolutely. Kathy Barnett is an incredible woman. She's a politician. She ran for Senate in Pennsylvania in 2022. Um, and she's a pro-life champion who speaks out about her story um, of having been conceived in rape. Um, and the fact that her mother was a minor, she was only 11 years old, um, and saw value in her life and chose life for her. Um, so Kathy's fantastic. You know, she speaks at, at pro-life rallies and, you know, she's, she's so brave to share her story, to share her mother's story and speak out about the fact that, you know, there have been people in her life who, who are uncomfortable with hearing that story, but that, you know, those uncomfortable conversations are some of the most important ones to have. And so we're super grateful for Kathy for being the pro-life champion that she is and for speaking out about the amazing ways that the Lord has worked in her mom's life and worked in her life to, you know, allow her to be here with us today. You know, when I think about this, Joy, I think about the fact that my oldest daughter and my youngest daughter are 14 years apart. I mean, Cindy and I had our children, the first three were about six years in between, and then the last two were two years. So there's that 14-year span between my oldest daughter and my youngest daughter, and they today are the best of friends. And when you think about what Kathy and her mother, only basically 11 years apart, really, uh, that that's really an amazing uh, span to realize that she's got her mom and her mom has her. At, at, and yeah, these, these were horrible circumstances. We all know that. But it, the thought that it could have been made easier had her mother gone ahead and taken an opportunity for an abortion, she would have missed out on having Kathy all these years. And what a wonderful woman Kathy has turned out to be. Absolutely. And something so key when we talk about, you know, sexual assault and pregnancy resulting from sexual assault is obviously, you know, a minor cannot consent to sexual activity of any form. A minor cannot consent to become pregnant um, to, to have sexual intercourse in any form. But a minor also can't appropriately consent to have an abortion. You know, an 11-year-old cannot recognize accurately the consequences on one's psychological health, on one's physical health. A minor who, you know, is 11 years old cannot consent to the trauma that would result from having an abortion. And so really it's up to the adults in, in a young person's life, first of all, to protect them in the first place, to, you know, do everything you can to protect children from experiencing you know, the, these consequences of living in a fallen world and, 
you know, the fact that there are villains out there who are committing sexual assault. It's our job to protect them in that first instance, but it's also the job of responsible and loving adults to recognize that, you know, forcing a child to have an abortion is not going to heal that child of the wounds that they've already suffered. It's going to inflict further trauma. Now, you also talk about a, a lady named Christy Hofferber who has a different story. Share a little bit about her. Absolutely. So, you know, Christy was raised in an adoptive family and found out later on in life um, about the circumstances of her conception that um, her biological mother was a, a victim of rape and incest, but um, that she managed to choose life for her after, you know, I think years of abuse. Um, so Christy is just another fantastic example of, of a pro-life champion who's willing to share these uncomfortable and difficult circumstances that, you know, surrounded her conception, but to share the fact that she's grateful to be here today, you know, now she has, um, you know, a couple of her own adoptive children. And, you know, so the Lord has just done amazing things in, in her family and, and, you know, just bringing about hope and a future from her mother's brave decision that resulted from, you know, suffering and abuse and trauma, but, you know, that she was able to bring life from those difficult circumstances. You know, I think that those stories of life are so important because the other side wants us to hear difficult circumstances and they want us to hear that the only thing that can result from these circumstances is pain and trauma and, you know, that oh, no, abortion was the only solution. So it's so important for us to elevate, you know, stories like Kathy's and Christie's that show us the other side. And I appreciate that. The fact that we have such testimonies really does bring a new light to this whole thing. And I, in her article, I, I really think that Christie said it well when she talked about the fact that she is the only survivor as that uh, her mother was forced to miscarry one. I'm not sure exactly what all those circumstances were, but also forced to have the abortion for four others. So out of six uh, siblings, she's the only survivor. And, you know, that that's a, a form of pain right there that she has to grow up wondering what life would have been like had she had those brothers or sisters to grow up in life with. But she'll never know that. But she does have her life. And thank God for the courage of her mom. Absolutely. And, you know, I encourage you to reach out to Kathy and Christy and, you know, engage with them more on their stories because they're just fantastic champions for life. Um, you know, it was super impactful for me in writing this resource to be able to speak with them and hear, hear their stories directly from them. So I absolutely encourage you to reach out to them as well. Well, that sounds like a great idea. I appreciate that. And we'll follow up on that. Uh, tell us a little bit about in our time remaining, how it is that you, Joy, got involved with, with Family Research Council and uh, becoming a policy analyst. How did that happen? Well, the Lord first directed my steps to Family Research Council when I was in, uh, in undergrad at Grove City College. I was studying political science and, you know, I knew that I had this passion for justice that I wanted to pursue, but, you know, I needed the Lord to direct me to where he wanted me to place that. And so I took an internship at Family Research Council and, you know, I've been here ever since. I, I interned and um, then I, I worked contract throughout my senior year of college and then came on full time as a policy analyst. So it's been an amazing journey of, you know, allowing the Lord to direct my steps here. But Family Research Council is just such a special place in D.C. because it combines, you know, the conservative values that so many of us share, but also the Christian faith um, and engaging with policy decisions on a, you know, from a biblical worldview, first and foremost, which has been super foundational for my personal worldview and for the way that I engage in policy. 
Do you get to work ever with David Clausen? I do. I work frequently with David Clausen. Yeah, he's a great guy, been a frequent guest on my program, originally from Orlando. And uh, so he has a, a lot of heart and interest in our area down here. But uh, he is a great guy, a wonderful spokesman, a great attorney who fights the cause that uh, Family Research Council stands for. And I, I really appreciate uh, Dave a lot. Yeah, absolutely. David's a fantastic friend. And, you know, when I was an intern, he he taught the workshop that was the biblical worldview training for the interns. So uh, so he's been forming my biblical worldview for years now. Oh, that's really wonderful. What's ahead for you and the department that you work for there, the Center for Human Dignity in 2023? What's ahead? You know, this year we're just continuing to engage on the state level and, you know, hopefully on the federal level as well on great pro-life legislation. And, you know, we're continuing to encourage the states to uh, to look at laws that are going to protect unborn life and, you know, to, to pass the laws that are going to actually pass in their states. So it's super exciting to be here at this time in 2023, the first year in a post-Roe v. Wade America. I'm super grateful that the Lord has brought me here in this time. On that topic, Joy, are you seeing... Uh, from uh, your vantage point, are you seeing states that uh, prior, let's say, to the overturn of Roe v. Wade would have not been open, or at least they would have uh, given signals that they wouldn't have been open to becoming more uh, pro-life in their legislation? Are you seeing uh, some states, let's say, turn around in this cause? Well, the great thing about the pro-life movement is that we're active in every state. So, you know, even in states where the legislation or the legislators aren't exactly reflecting it, there is a strong pro-life resistance. I have great friends out in California who are, you know, they're in the belly of the beast and advocating for, you know, even if they can't pass laws that are what we would define as protecting life, they're, you know, at least better than they could be. And sometimes, you know, that's that's the best way to, to direct our steps and the, the best effort that we can put forward. So, you know, in every state, there are pro-life champions who are fighting to protect unborn life. So that's definitely, you know, can be an encouragement for us as, you know, some of us live in, in areas that are protecting unborn life already beginning at conception, but our prayers need to be with those who are fighting for life in more difficult states as well. What are you? What is it like for everyone there at FRC? Because you're in D.C. and that is not exactly uh, a friendly uh, bounds for you guys there. There's a lot of hostility about this subject. What is it like, uh, basically, living in that area? Yeah, you know, I think that um, among Christians and among conservatives, there's a great network of you know strengthening each other and encouraging each other to continue to live out our faith and continue to engage in policy from a biblical worldview. Um, you know, it absolutely is. It, it's difficult to look around and to know that most people don't agree with you or that if they knew what you believed, they would hate you. Um, but but I think that's a great challenge to wake up every day as well and to tell yourself, I need to do the best things that I can do today that the Lord has for me and to present a Christian witness while I engage on these issues. Um, so, you know, I'm from Pennsylvania, which is more of one of those purple mid-ground states, you know, not exactly great on life, not the worst either. Uh so back home, you know, there's there's still work to be done as well. So, you know, it's not Texas, but that's right. <laughs> but we do okay. That's right. They've got that heartbeat law there in Texas still going. I think a lot of people thought that it would have been turned over sooner, but I'm grateful for it. 
And we do have a better uh, scenario in Florida than we once did, still hoping that it can become a bit more stringent and pro-life as well. Uh, Give us the website, if you will, for FRC's division there, the Center for Human Dignity, and how people can read this article. Yeah, well, you can find us in general at frc.org slash life. And you can find these resources on difficult conversations at frc.org slash difficult conversations. And that's it. That's all you need to do. Joy Stockbauer, thank you so much for joining us today on the program and uh, giving us this news that is really helpful and I believe equipping for people who have these difficult conversations. Thank you, Joy. Thank you so much for having me. And friends, thanks for joining us today on another episode of Afternoons with Mike. We'll see you next time right here on The Shepherd.